Sam Wigan is a winemaker at Yolumba, very, very well-known uh, known winery, and of these very specific, very well-known running with bulls Tempranillo. So, Sam, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Morning, Jill. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So, what's what's it like down there at the moment? Are you are you are you getting these really cold snaps, or are you nice and balmy? Uh, yeah, we are in the middle of a bit of a cold snap and uh, a bit of precipitation. So, uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a shock after being in shorts probably earlier in the week to yeah dropping down to I think we had a maximum of twelve on Thursday and that reached twelve degrees at um, eleven o'clock at night. So yeah, it was a uh, a pretty brisk uh, Thursday for us. Oh, wow. Those grapes are shriveling right about then. Well, I won't, I won't tell you what it is up here in all sunny, uh, sunny Gold Coast. But look, let's talk about Tempranillo being uh, International Tempranillo Day last week. And yep. you are the winemaker of uh, probably one of Australia's most wi- widely drunk Tempranillo running with bulls. So can you tell us a bit about the wine? Yeah, look, uh, it's been an exciting journey for us uh, with Running With Bulls, uh, starting off in 2008. And, well, prior to that, we were doing a lot of research um, into the variety, uh, you know, originating in Spain and, you know, widely grown in Rioja and Ribera del Duero and Toro. And, you know, the Barossa sort of um, emulates probably Toro and Ribera del Duero quite closely. So, you know, we thought there was... um, you know, uh, a good uh, a good opportunity there to uh, do something in the Barossa. Uh, so yeah, we uh, came out in two thousand and eight with the uh, first running with bulls, and yeah, hit the ground running and picked up trophy at Adelaide Wine Show for best alternate uh, red. Which um, now we're sort of getting into that area where it's uh, becoming a little bit more mainstream and probably getting away from being an alternate variety. Yes, it is indeed. Uh, out of interest, what vintage did you did you win the uh, medal at Adelaide? Uh, the two thousand and eight vintage. Right. Okay. So I do want to. So you started in two thousand and eight with a. You've created. You've done a vintage for every year since, and we are now pleasantly drinking the twenty nineteen, which I certainly did last night. Um, can you tell us a bit about the differences with the, the different vintages, which have been the better ones, and how it's affected the taste of the wine? Yeah, look, I think um, the 2019 is probably one of my favourites and, you know, it is the one we're, we're currently drinking. Um, the 2010 was also very good. I mean, 2010 as a vintage across Australia was a, a stunning vintage and, you know, not only for Tempranillo but for, for many varieties. Um, but I guess the, uh, the vintage is where it really stands out, you know, it's, uh, are the ones where they are probably a little bit warmer. Um, Tempranillo does have a propensity to have large berries, so if there's a lot of rainfall during the growing season, the berries can swell up, the, the vines uptake a lot of that water. So 2019 was um, quite a dry, warm vintage. Uh, the crops were probably a little bit smaller, smaller berries, but, you know, still really good fruit balance in there. And for me with Tempranillo, you know, being such a uh, approachable wine, it's all about the pH of the wine and making sure you, that interacts well with the tannin profile to get those nice. You get a lot of tannin from Tempranillo, but it's all about having a nice powdery tannin. Um, so that's about getting the ripeness in the vineyard, but also treating it quite gently in the winery, 
um, and allowing it to have that high pH, which it naturally does, compared to things like uh, Cabernet Sauvignon or Shiraz, which will operate at a lower pH. Mm. It's it's interesting drinking it last night, and I actually hadn't had it probably for a couple of years, and I was just reminded of. Um, of some of the characteristics that I don't particularly get in other reds, like I love that there's a, there's a chalkiness, and I think you just mentioned powder. It's like that cocoa powder. Um, like it's very much like aromas on the nose. I mean, I, I, I could be wrong, but this is what I was getting, and Mike was agreeing. So it's very, it's very berry, and it was dark chocolate. Um, and then it goes into, I, I could get some leather from it, but it was the, at the end of, I was like, after first sip, I'm like, this is, there's something chalky on my palate, but it was really pleasant. You probably wouldn't have wanted it to be any chalkier. And then I was like, it's like this cocoa powder and it's really interesting. And then a few more sips later, probably just letting it sit in the glass for, you know, for a good five minutes or so, I was getting the most delicious mouthfeel. And it felt like this velvet wave was just going around in my mouth. And I'm like, wow, gosh, I love Tempranillos. I really just need to start drinking them more again. Um, but that's, it really is that that 2019 is such a, a lovely wine. And we, we have been speaking uh, earlier on the show today, um, we had uh, James Verco, who is a Spanish um, a Spanish varietal enthusiast. And, you know, we're talking about how uh, food friendly it is and how versatile it is. And it's just, you know, drink it alone, drink it with someone. If they're lucky, drink it with food. It's, it is quite perfect. So can you give us an example of what you think the perfect occasion to drink one of your Tempranillos is? Oh, look, I think uh, any day ending in a Y, Jill, would be a, a good start for <laughs> drinking Tempranillo. Um, good answer, Sam. <laughs> and I think, like, you, you've hit the nail on the head with the descriptors. I often think of Tempranillo, I think of black forest cake. So all those things you describe, sort of that dark berries, dark cherries, chocolate, you know. Um, I often see some, some florals in there, those cocoa powder tannins. Uh, a really rustic tannin. Um, uh, another one of our winemakers here, Louisa Rose, often describes it as ironstone um, or rusty, which doesn't sound that appealing, but, you know, it's that real fine um, tannin profile. Um, and, look, for me, uh, a good occasion with Tempranillo is, you know, firing up the charcoal grill or grilling over the vine cuttings, um, putting on some nice meat or even some portobello mushrooms, bit of garlic, bit of thyme, squeeze a lemon, you know, I think outside grilling, you know, friends around, um, yeah, and, you know, sharing the bottle with someone or many people, uh, as long as you've got a few bottles, I guess. Um, yeah, really good occasion. So interestingly enough, I, I don't ever hear Tempranillo as being um, suggested to serve chilled, which is quite surprising given it's, um, you know, it has some very similar characteristics say Pinot Noir and Pinot Noir quite often in Australia in the summer are, are served a, a chilled. Is that, is that something to do with it? Would, would, the, would the chills actually detract too much from what the grapes bringing to the wine or why would that be? Oh, look, I think here in Australia, we're probably um, drinking our reds a little bit too warm anyway. You know, we come, mm. we're, we're, we're typically in a warmer climate. So I think all of our reds could probably do with a, a slight chilling and the, the the only issue you can sort of come across when when chilling a red is it, it will suppress the aromatics a little bit um but you know if you if you're looking at a 30 degree day you're outside you 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 are grilling over the charcoal um 
you know, the wine's going to warm up quite quickly. So even if it, it is a little bit muted at that, that first sip, it's going to warm up quite quickly in your glass. So, but I, I think, you know, the one thing I, I really don't like is drinking a red wine that is too warm because for me that just accentuates alcohol in the wine um, and you, you don't really get the best out of it. You know, they say the drinking temperature of a, a cellar is ideal. So, you know, if you can hit that sort of 16 to 18 degrees, so when we say chilled, we're not talking about what we do for a, a bottle of sparkling or champagne, for example, um, but just taking that edge off. So, you know, if it's 25 degrees in your house, yeah, you want it sort of slightly chilled. So an hour in the fridge, you know, if you have over chilled it, it's not going to take too long to warm up back up in the glass. Yeah. Yep, sure. So I guess so so further to that, if you were if you actually if you had it in warm, I guess most cellars they normally are some form of temperature controlled, even if it's just natural, it's a particular area of a house or a or a shed or something where it, it sort of suits. But if you don't have that, and as Tempranillo is quite often just drunk straight away, if I just go straight into a bottle shop, I pick it up and I bring it home, am I expecting that bottle shop's actually been maintaining it at, well, yes, a consistent temperature, but these consistent temperature doesn't necessarily mean that's the right temperature for all the wines that they're housing. So if that's the case, what am I meant to be doing best with that Tempranillo when I get home? Oh, look, depending on the, the time of year, you know, if it's the middle of winter, the bottle shop should be running at probably 20, 21 degrees. So, you know, it's it's not going to be too far out of that range. But, yeah, right. maybe half hour in the fridge if it's uh, during the middle of summer. If it's during winter, you can probably leave it as yeah. is. Um, as for, yeah, your storage in your house, if you don't have a cellar or a wine fridge or anything like that, you know, going down to the, the local food markets and, Getting uh, styrofoam boxes uh, are really great for storing your wine at home, which you can then, you know, slide under your bed or slide into a cupboard. It is all about keeping the, the wine at a more of a consistent temperature and not having that large diurnal effect where they're getting really cold and then really warm and then really cold and really warm. Yeah, which we know that doesn't uh, doesn't do uh, any favours to the wine. But I think that's a really interesting point. And I'm glad that you did mention that if you are bringing it home, because, I mean, most people are picking up a bottle of wine and bringing it back. And if and if you just know just to put it in, in the summer, as you say, just for half an hour into the fridge, I think that's a really important thing to do. It's not a lot of time, but if it is just going to make the wine that little bit better, just, you know, climatise it to where it's meant to be, that's good info to know. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> because I'll do that. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually looking right behind you at the uh, at the um, the running with bulls flag. Would yes. you be able to tell us the story of how, why you named it that? I mean, everyone knows the very famous running with bulls in Spain, but can you tell us the story behind why you use that with your wine? Oh, uh, look, I guess we were sort of um, when we were setting it up, it was to play off the the Spanish theme and. You know, to bring it out as its own, you know, when we brought it out, it was a standalone variety in a, in a brand new brand and we had to make an impact straight away. Um, so running with bulls it, and, you know, this wine really grew, grew through um, pubs and clubs and restaurants and, you know, it actually worked really well on chalkboards. You'd see running with bulls and, you know, people were ordering it because it was running with bulls. And I think the knowledge that it was Tempranillo actually came later. Um, and, you know, Tempranillo is such a, a drinkable wine 
that everyone was just going, oh, yeah, well, I'll give it a go. I'll have a glass and going, oh, yeah, wow, I really like this. And the fact that Tempranillo was the variety actually came a bit later on. So what we wanted to do, yeah, I guess was um, highlight that, you know, we were working with a Spanish varietal um, and a catchy name like Running With Bulls. No one had trademarked it here in Australia. So, yeah, we jumped on with it and, uh, and ran. And it's a win. So you also produce a Running With Bulls Grenache. That's another favourite of, of mine. Um, so can you explain the differences between those two? Yeah, look, uh, we've got the Running With Bulls uh, Ganacha or Grenache, uh, just synonyms for each other. And, you know, those are the two uh, predominant grapes uh, in Spain. I think, you know, if we're talking about world plantings, Tempranillo sits somewhere like third on the list of most planted varieties in the world. Uh, Grenache sits at probably seven. You know, what we're seeing here in Australia is much more uh, growth in popularity of Grenache, and I think it's going to have a real resurgence. So, you know, what we want with the, the two varieties um, in Running With Bulls is for that Tempranillo, which we do um, some oak maturation. So we mature the wine for nine, ten months in uh, new and old Hungarian oak barrels. Uh, all 300 litre vats. Um, so we want that to be a medium to full bodied experience, but something you can drink on its own or will match really well with food. For the Grenache, uh, we're looking for a really light, bright example. And, you know, you mentioned Pinot Noir earlier and, you know, here in the Barossa we do call Grenache the Pinot of the Barossa and we think it it really lines up quite closely and with the Grenache, we're, we're employing a lot of those techniques that Pinot Noir makers would be using. So we're using whole bunch fermentation, whole berries. Um, we're treating it very gently and much like Pinot Noir, we're, we're not looking for a big, deep, darkly coloured wine. We're looking for something that's really quite pretty, stylish, aromatic. So we don't actually use any oak in our Grenache. And this is one that we really do encourage uh, chilling um, and even probably a little bit more than we would the Tempranillo and you know on a really hot day to bring it down to sort of 10 to 12 degrees and all, almost like a, a full-bodied rosé but you know it, it does drink beautifully um, uh, out of the esky or, or the fridge and you know to actually start pairing it with things that are probably a little bit left of field and I know um, uh, like a soy and ginger braise barramundi with the Grenache works really well. And, you know, most people wouldn't think to be pairing a red wine with fish, but, you know, it does work beautifully and slightly chilled, you know, warm day. Uh, yeah. It's also a magnificent uh, blend, isn't it? I mean, like a good old GSM, it's uh, pretty spectacular, especially the ones that you guys are doing uh, doing down around Barossa in your areas. Um, but it is it is used much more of a, as a blend than a Tempranillo is. And so the characteristics of the Grenache, why, why do you think it makes it uh, so, so adaptable? Oh, look, I think um, the GSM blend's been so popular uh, because you do get those lovely aromatics and that juiciness from the Grenache. You can get some really lovely mid-palate weight and richness from the Shiraz. Um, and you get a real nice rusticity uh, and really savouriness coming in from the Mataro. And I think, you know, you can change the percentages of the blend to keep the wine um, 
as the best possible example of what you can do out of a certain vintage by changing the percentages depending on which varieties stand up in that in that year. Yeah. So with that, we'll, we'll go back to uh, Tempranillo. I've been doing a little bit of a little bit of additional research on it, and they do call it the uh, the wine that can become a bit sooky because it is highly sensitive. And this all comes back to I can see you smiling there. It all comes back to uh, the, the fact that it is uh, picked early and it's not meant to over ripen too much. So it does lose the acidity, etc. Um, what what makes it such a sensitive grape? And I guess what my question really is. How can a grape that is so sensitive be so widely, widely grown in so many different regions? Uh, yes, it, it, it does um, soak a little bit in the in the warm weather. Um, and, you know, it, it's just one of those things that we need to keep the irrigation right up until uh, Varese on it, probably because it will actually start to senesce, which is the yellowing of the leaves, and start to drop some of those basil leaves if you don't keep the water up. But having said that, it does cope really well and it probably doesn't bag up and shrivel as much as Shiraz does in really hot weather later in the season. So the berries stay quite turgid and um, and it won't jump in Beaumont. So it's amazing. We'll get to that part of vintage and, you know, there might be a, a spell of hot weather coming and the Shiraz can really start to bag up and concentrate and, you know, the bow maze can really climb quite quickly in Shiraz, whereas Tempranillo won't, it'll sort of get to that 13 or 13 and a half bow and even during that really hot weather, it just sort of slowly um, ripens up and in- accumulates of sugar, um, which, you know, for me, that's, that's great because it gives me a, a much bigger picking window and, you know, when the pressures of trying to get a harvester or pickers in, um, is in big competition, then we don't have to worry so much about uh, Tempranillo. So, yes, it, it does get a little bit sooky, but, you know, as long as you've got the irrigation water and, you know, as you mentioned, it does come from quite warm areas in Spain and Portugal. So, you know, these these regions are, you know, quite warm uh, and, you know, emulate what we have here in the, the Barossa or McLaren Vale or... You know, even there's a lot of Tempranillo grown in the Riverland, which they do really successfully there as well. So even really warm inland, dry areas. But, you know, I've caught the end of uh, James's chat and, you know, it, it does. It's so versatile that, you know, there's uh, Tempranillo being grown in Canberra. You know, uh, Frank at Mount Majura is doing some really cool stuff. The Alpine Valleys, um, Heathcote, um, Margaret River you know, right up to the granite belt. So, you know, it, it does have great versatility and probably anywhere we can grow Shiraz um, and Shiraz uh, uh, grows well, then grows you know, everywhere, we can probably, right? yeah, we can probably have a have a crack with Tempranillo because, you know, my experience is that it is usually the first red into the winery. You know, it it's neck and neck with some of those really old, low cropping blocks of Shiraz, but, you know, it does, it comes, it flowers late, it ripens early, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's the way of the future, I think. <laughs> it's a very special grape. So are you, are you going to be enjoying one today or in the next few days? Yeah, look, uh, my wife and I usually like to have a nice bottle on a Sunday. So, 
you know, um, and we do drink quite a bit of the running with bulls, but, you know, I do have a few others uh, floating around in the cellar. So, you know, Sunday night's always a nice occasion to sort of crack out a nice bottle and uh, enjoy. So, yeah, I think uh, a nice tempranillo could be on the cards tonight. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think I might be doing the same. Look, this has been great. Thank you so much, Sam. It's been really exciting to actually, I think, extremely exciting because it's a it's a wine that I've known about for so long and that I've loved for so many years. To actually meet the man behind the uh, the running with bulls is um is a bit of an honour. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Stu. It's been a pleasure.